All right. Good morning, church. We have uh, some announcements, and it's a sort of a special day. We finished up the Gospel of John last week, and it's been my typical practice to uh, recover in between books. I think we've been in John for a year, year and a half, something like that. And and uh, it's unless you've done it, it's hard to explain. Every week that I preach, it's sort of like giving birth, you know. And the women are like, "Yeah, right. Don't even try that one." <laughs> But it's sort of like you spend your whole week kind of stirring and thinking and meditating and, and considering this, the passage. And then when, it, when I sit up here, it's like out it comes, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a taxing process. So I appreciate you all being gracious and letting me have a break today. Uh, it's really enjoyable for me to just be here. Usually if I'm taking a break from the pulpit, it's because I'm vacationing somewhere or speaking somewhere else. And, and, but today to be here and not have to... Um, be, have that mental responsibility of delivering uh, a message is really a, a wonderful break for me. So thank you for that. It looks like um, where the Lord is leading me now uh, would be that we would start in Second Peter next week. And then uh, we have about 10 weeks between now and Christmas, so we'll get through Second Peter and then maybe a couple of the shorter epistles as well. Leading us up to Christmas, we'll have our Christmas uh, time messages from uh, Luke or Matthew or wherever the Lord leads us for that. And then uh, first sermon, first uh, Sunday in January, we will begin a study in the book of Genesis. So that's kind of the outline of where we're going. Uh, It's interesting singing the words of Job this morning. Uh, He gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. Uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I I like the line, on the road marked with suffering. And uh, certainly these two behind me have been on that road uh, the last year of their lives, and, and, and in other ways, too. They've had some very challenging experiences that they've been up against. Um, Bob and Sue Donnelly are the father of a young man. Well, they have how many children you guys have all together? Twelve. Twelve children all together, which deserves a round of applause just in itself. <laughs> wow. One of their sons is named Noah, and he was part of the construction crew that built this building. And I, tell, I know many of you were here. You've been with us through the high school days, and you've followed us through the building project. But many of you have come to Calvary Chapel and since we've been in this building. And so I'm explaining this story because uh, you would have no way of understanding. I'm sure Bob and Sue will have more to add. But during that construction process, uh, almost, well, a little more than a year ago, what was the, the date? October 7th, uh, last year, their son uh, fell off of the roof of this building uh, onto a concrete uh, patio 30 feet below. And uh, it was a very traumatic day, uh, a very challenging day. Uh, He was taken to UVA in the ambulance. Uh, Nobody expected him to live. It's just one of those days that, uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's a life changer. And uh, they came up from the Roanoke area where they live, and we got to know them over the next few weeks as we watched and prayed together and, and uh, prayed together some more and prayed together some more. And you all ministered to them. They lived here uh, while, while Noah was in the hospital. And uh, obviously, uh, and maybe some of you know, Noah not only survived but exceeded uh, all of the, the doctor's expectations. And again, I don't want to steal their story. But um, there's a woman named Heather Mercer that was taken uh, hostage in Afghanistan a number of years ago. Maybe you remember. And she was released from her 
captivity with, I think, with the Taliban. Uh, anyway, she, um, she said something that has stuck with me for a long time. Everybody wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to be in the place to need one. These guys have been in the place to need one, and, and uh, they have seen one. So with that, I'm going to pray and turn the microphone over to, to Bob and Sue Donnelly. Let's pray. Father, again, as, as we prayed before, what do we even begin to say as we approach uh, boldly, come to the throne of, of grace to receive mercy in time of need? What do we, we begin to say to our maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth? How do we bring charges against you for anything, trusting your goodness, saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, that you give and take away, you give and take away. Uh, nothing, Lord, uh, there's nothing we receive that hasn't passed through your hands and somehow is part of a plan that we oftentimes are very confused about and, and don't see or don't understand and even don't want. Lord, we, we know that your word is not just to be learned, but to be experienced. So I pray for Bob and Sue as they share with us the, uh, how scripture, how your word has sustained them, how your grace and your spirit have kept them afloat in difficult times and just what they've learned and how you've drawn them close to yourself through all of this. Lord, I pray that you fill them with your spirit, that our hearts would be open and ready to hear, ready to receive encouragement, ready to be challenged, Lord, maybe for complaints we have in our own lives, maybe for things we're bitter about uh, toward you, Lord, and others in our own lives. I pray that wounds would be healed um, and, and all by the spirit. Through, through the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Greetings, everybody, in the name of Jesus. And we are very excited to be here and see your lovely faces. We've, we've known some of you, and some of you are new faces. But um, I'm very excited about today. I know that God has a blessing for you. And if you're open to receive it, God will minister to you this day. To whosoever will, the Bible says. Just so you know, the names of our sons and daughters, we have Isaiah as our eldest, then Elijah, Caleb, John, then our eldest daughter, Shamala, and then our next daughter, Faith, then our son, James, then our third daughter, Kasia, and then we have Noah, Gideon, Levi, and Jacob. And um, amen is right. Amen. And that's, that's enough of them, boy. No, it's not enough. You know, people say, how do you have so many children? But in all honesty, when we sit at the dinner table in everybody's home, and I look around, <clears throat> and I say, it's not that many. It's not that many. You know, I'll tell you just I'll share a little bit about Sue and mine early days. Um, Sue raised differently than I did. She was raised a uh, very strict Roman Catholic, uh, went to parochial school and everything. They made all the special masses. They did all of that stuff. Um, then at the age of 16 years old, she had, uh, on a particular day, two priests, um, within a few minutes of each other, lied to her. And she knew at that moment that this is not the way for me to go. And so when I met her, she had been on a new quest. She had read a book. Sue's a big reader. You can burn up libraries. And um, 
she read this interesting story about Merlin, the magician, who had been cursed and was captive in a tree. But if you could find him and you could set him free, and then he would tell you the answer to life. And so she was desperate for life, and so that was the quest. When I met her, that's what she was involved in. I myself was not involved in that. I, I went a different route. I was raised without any religious background at all. I, I, I went to Sunday school once in, the, in my uh, life until my salvation. I'd never been in a church uh, other than that one time. I shared that with Pastor Tom this morning, the interesting story. We won't get into that now. But anyway, I grew up an atheist. And as an atheist, um, as, as, as a good atheist, I was a hater of God. I despised the very concept, and I, I hated Jesus Christ with a passion and would use his name as just as vulgarly as I possibly could on every occasion I could. I was a violent atheist. I was a very angry, violent young man. And at, when Sue turned 18 years old, I showed up at her house, and I don't really remember all the things, but I know I told the story so many times over the years, but I showed up at her house on my motorcycle. She climbed on the back. We drove away, and her uh, parents did not hear from her for the next four or five months or whatever it was. Till one day she says, I have to call my dad. So we lived together in those days. And in those days, I would tell her on a very regular basis, if you ever get pregnant, you will have an abortion. And if you refuse to have an abortion... I will beat you in the belly with a baseball bat because I will never have children. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. All things work to good for the benefit of those who love God or called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. So anyway, it happened to be that a bunch of people that I used to ride around on motorcycles with, all of a sudden, they got saved, and they started to gather in my front yard. I am the known atheist in my town, hardcore atheist, violent atheist, terrorizing Sunday school teachers and stuff, and, and to, to, my, to my shame, not to any glory of myself, but, but some of those people I turned from the faith, and... Um, Anyway, there was five of them, and they started gathering in my front yard every day around 5.30 in the afternoon, standing in a circle, holding hands like a bunch of sissies, praying for me. And I lived right on the main road. So everybody's driving up and down this main road in the town we lived, and they see these guys out in my front yard, and everybody knows who I am. I'm the atheist. What is going on here? Well, at first I was going to run out and beat them with a baseball bat. But I had been good friends with some of these guys, and... And, I mean, these are people I dealt drugs with and did everything that motorcycle guys do. And um, so eventually I just tried to ignore them. But they kept it up day after day. Um, and maybe after a month or so, one day I come home and I walk in the house and Sue had the same dumb smile on her face that they had. <laughs> and I instantly knew what had happened. And I told her, don't you know I'm going to kill you? Pack your bags. Get out of my house. I never want to see you again. <clears throat> I told her that every day 
for about two weeks. I'm doing pretty good not crying, right? I'm, I'm hanging in there. But I told her that every day for about two weeks, and she'll tell you today she never once heard me say it because if she would have heard me say it, she would have left because she would have been afraid because I was a very angry, violent young man. <clears throat> anyway, another two months go by, thereabouts. And in the process of that time, these people are still gathering in the circle. They're still praying. Sue now joins with them. And one day, and I, and I watch her and I, and I would talk to her. I remember one, one day in particular, I says, I, I know I got her now because I knew she loved me. And so I said, listen, I said, if Jesus showed up today and he said, come with me, would you go with him or would you stay with me? And I knew I had her with this one because I knew how much she loved me. And she looked at me. She said, honey, I'm sorry. I would go. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. She loved me. But she's going to go with him instead. And I couldn't understand it. There's so many wonderful things I want to tell you about the way she ministered to me. She never tried to preach to me. She never pushed anything upon me. But she was ready always to give an answer for the hope that was in her. And I'd seen her life was changed. And I would come home, I'd sit down on the couch, and I'd light up to, to get high, and I'd go to pastor. She says, oh, no. I said, what do you mean, oh, no? She says, that'll bring you down. I says, it doesn't bring you. It's called getting high. She says, no, no, that brings you down. And I couldn't understand, but her life was changed. And these other people, I knew these people. I knew them for years, and their lives were changed. I remember one day this, this one fellow, Walter, he was a pharmacist, and Walter used to help supply a lot of our drugs in those days. And Walter now was a changed man, and he, and he comes in one day, and Walter, every, about once a week, he would try and talk to me. Another Jewish fellow, Barry, that I used to deal drugs with. I didn't really like Barry that much, but, but we had a working relationship. And Barry would come, and he'd tell me that God loved me, and I'd grab him by the seat of his pants and the back of his shirt, and I'd run him and throw him right out my front door, right onto the ground. I'd tell him, I don't let anybody talk like that in my house. Told me God loved me. So, but Walter came in, and Walter sat down one day, and, and I'm saying, Walter, I do not need your God. He says, you don't need, I says, no, I'm God. He says, you're God, Bob. I says, that's right, I'm God. I'm the God of my own world. He says, well, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, are you happy with everything in your world? I says, well, not everything. But I figured I had him, you know. I said, not everything. He says, well, he says, Bob, you're God. Change it. And he got up and walked out the door. <laughs> I had been, I had had a very good partner in the early 70s. We were quite successful in business. And um, back in those days, 71, 72, successful on, on our level. You know, I was netting, we were netting each over $50,000 a year. I was young and single, $50,000 a year in 1971. I could buy any toy I wanted. The best, the nicest houses in the neighborhood were only $25,000 in those days. And we did that for, for several years like that. And then I ended up, I had become such a severe drug addict that I ended up just giving him the business and told him, just give me a job. I can't be your partner any longer. Um, I, I am a drug addict. And I tried to cut down, and I could not cut back enough just to even function. So anyway, this is all going on. And one day, I, I'm 
coming out of my bedroom, and I have a window over here, and this fellow Dave is coming this way, and I see other people coming that way. They're coming for their daily prayer meeting. And, and I see Sue jump up off the couch and run out the door. She's going to join with them and stuff. And I'd had enough because I'd watched them for months. And I backed up into my room, and I just I closed the door, and I leaned against the bedroom door and had my hand on the knob. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, if you really are real, like these people keep telling me you are, would you please make yourself real to me? Sue used to tell me, honey, just believe. I says, how can I just believe? I says, you've always believed. I says, it's easy for you to believe. I've never believed. How can I believe? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life, just believe. But that day I'd had enough, and I said, Lord, I said, Jesus, if you really are real, would you please make yourself real to me? And if you really can give me a new life, like these people keep telling me you can, would you please give me one? Because this one I really messed up. If I wasn't stoned, I was drunk. I don't think prior to that day, I don't think that I'd been straight not a single day in at least the previous nine years. I started drinking when I was 12 years old, went to liquor when I was 13 years old, at 14 years old, introduced to pot and sniffing glue at 15 years old. I was working on a traveling carnival in the summer, and we, we stopped and did a week at Flatbush Avenue in New York City, and there I was introduced to heroin. By 16 years old, I was living on the street, and LSD and speed was my drugs of choice by then, and which, at which time I got hepatitis from using dirty needles. And that was my life. And now I was 25 years old. And I could hardly hold a coherent conversation with anybody. All my speech was slurred. I had lost my vocabulary. I was a fan of vocabulary. I had lost my vocabulary. I had lost a good business. My life was a mess. So Jesus, if you really can, give me a new life like these people tell me you can. Would you please give me one? Because this one I've really messed up. And then I prayed the third part. They kept telling me, Bob, you're going to have to say this. And if you would, would you forgive me of my sins? I didn't know much at that point other than the fact that I, I had this very unusual feeling, and it reminded me of early childhood. I had this feeling that I could actually believe if I wanted to. And I don't know what happened over the course of the, you know, how it all happened. It just, God just moved supernaturally. Anyway, one year later, fast forward one year later, I had a car alongside of my house. This young fellow down the road kept bugging me to buy it. It was a 1966 GT Mustang Fastback. Fire engine red, black leather interior, floor on the floor. Had a slipping clutch in it, and I was going to change the clutch, and this young fella kept bugging me to buy that car. And one day he hit me, and he said, he said, please sell me that car. I says, how much money do you have anyway? He says, I got $250. And I said, sold. And I went inside to, to find the registration. I've never been a good paper keeper, and that, that, that has, that's still the same. And um, I'm looking on the, the dresser for the stuff and I'm moving stuff around, and all of a sudden this voice standing behind me a little above me said to me, it says, look at what's in your hands. And I looked down, and I had two fistful of plastic bags, and the voice said, those are drugs. And I said, what are drugs doing in my house? 
I had absolutely no memory of my former life. Through the course of that year, God has so changed me from a hardcore atheist to where he was more real to me than the ground I stood on or the air I breathed. And he said to me, he says, you used to do drugs. And he opened my memory a little bit. And then he said, you used to do a lot of drugs. And he opened all my memory. And he said to me, he says, now go tell other people that what I've done for you, I can do for them as well. So we just want to share a couple of things with you, what God has done. But let's, how about if we just read a little bit of scripture first? Pastor made me promise that I would read some scriptures with you. He says, we're Bible-believing people, and, that, and that's a good thing. I am too. And uh, we have a, let's go to Romans 8. I guess we're not going to get through some of the other verse stuff, but Romans 8. But, but all, as I told Pastor Steve this morning, I says every place I open in my Bible seems appropriate. There's no place that's not appropriate. But I want to I encourage you and I want to warn you to know your Bible because, because the Bible is under attack. Christianity is under attack. And I remember this old minister many years ago that God had put me with who was mentoring me. And he had been in the ministry then for well over 50 years. And he said to me one day, he said, Brother, he says, what is the strength of Christianity? He says, is it the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? I said, well, of course. And he looked at me and he said, no, brother. He says, that, that's how it all began. He said, but the strength of Christianity are those who believe. If the disciples had not made a stand, if no one would believe, he says, that would have been the end of Christianity. He says, it's your willingness to stand for God, to believe the word of God, to make that your standard, that is the strength of Christianity today. So I encourage you to believe your word. There was a night, <clears throat> my habit was, Sue would go to bed about 11 o'clock at night, and I would go into the kitchen, and I would wipe down the kitchen table, and I'd open up my Bible, and I'd set it on it. Before I ever opened my Bible, I'd always pray, and I used to, I used to pet it <clears throat> because I loved it. It was a gift of God to me, the most precious thing I had on the earth is my Bible. A gift of God. One of the things that went on in my life is, you know, I couldn't read. I had been in business. I owned a, a, a race car that held five national speed records. I had a home stereo that was valued at $25,000. I had all of these things, but at the age of 25 years old, I still could not put three words together fluently. I knew what they were. I could read a street sign if you gave me enough time. But I could not put them together. So one day over that fellow Barry's house, after, after I had prayed, about two weeks after I had prayed that prayer, I was over there, and everyone disappeared, and I was sitting there on his couch, and there was this book sitting on the, on the couch a, a couple feet away from me. And I reached over, didn't have anything written on the cover that I could see, and I just pulled it to me, and I just opened it up. And I read the first line on the first page. And it said in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And I wept. I read it like it just flowed so beautiful, and I knew what a truth it was. I'd been an atheist, a hater of God, his enemy. And I just knew that God had created all things. All of a sudden, everybody came back. There was about a dozen people in the house. I don't know where they went for that moment. But all of a sudden, they all came back in the room, and I held up that Bible. I says, I need one of these. So off we went to the Christian bookstore, and they showed me a Bible there, King James Bible, nice one. I still have it at home. I cherish it. Glazed water buffalo. Girl handed it to me. I held it. It flopped over my hand like silk. I said, my, my, my. $75. I didn't have $75, so I bought a $5 version. But the next week, I was working up in Connecticut, and... I'd go up there and work for the week. We lived on Long Island, and um, the guy that I was working for, I was running a crew for a company, and, and the owner of the company comes in and says, Bob, he says, he says, last week I made a mistake on your pay. He says, a shortage of $75. I had just got off my knees praying, Lord, if there's any way, I'd really like to have that Bible. <laughs> so we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to try and rush you a little bit. We're going to need to read some scriptures, but, um, but, but let me share, because this is very important as to, as to what I'm about to tell you about the, the testimony with Noah. And we are, brother, we are going to read some scripture. And, um, and so during that time right there when I'm working up in Connecticut, I would call Sue each night from the motel room, and i call her up this one night. Now, you've got to remember, at this point, we've been together for two and a half years or more. We have never used any contraceptives, um, and I told you what I used to tell her, but now, now, I'm, I'm, now I'm saved, but I'm a brand new Christian. This is maybe a month later after I've prayed that prayer, and I'm up there, and I call Sue up, and she says, I got something to tell you. I says, you're pregnant, and she says, yes. I says, I will call you back, and hung up the phone, and I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, okay, I'm a brand new Christian, but they told me, they to, they told me some stuff that I had to do. So I got down on my knees and says, okay, Lord, so I know that I'm supposed to thank you for everything that goes on, so thank you that Sue is pregnant. But, Lord, how could you do this to me? You know how I feel about having children. And he said to me, audible voice, in that motel room, he said, son, you didn't want to have children because you didn't know how you could bring a child into a world as corrupt as this one is. You didn't know how or you didn't know how you would take care of them, provide for them. You didn't know how you would protect them, and you didn't know what you would teach them. He says, now you don't have to worry. He says, I will protect them. I will provide for them. You teach them about me. And so that's the way we went. I read there in the Scriptures, it says that God opens and closes the womb. We've been together for two and a half years. I get, she gets saved, I get saved. The womb's open. Then I read another scripture, and it says, it says that the children are God's heritage, his inheritance. And so then how could we deny him? He gave us life. Two lost souls, he gave us life. We used to fight every day in those early days. Every day I knew I'd come home and Sue would be gone. I'd find a Dear Bob letter. 
I have had enough. And she'd be out of that house. We fought almost every day. We get saved. We have an argument. I told her that she needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She says, that'll happen in God's time. I says, get on your knees. I'm going to lay hands on you. Pray right now, and you're going to speak in tongues. <laughs> she got on her knees in the living room. I laid hands on her. I says, start going. And there was nothing. She looked up at me after a minute. She says, honey, when God's ready, I'll speak in tongues. I stormed out of the house. Boy, was I mad. Out the front door, we had three steps out there. Stomped down those three steps, and I'm saying, Lord, the problem with that woman is she's not submitted to me. That's what I said. And God spoke to me again, audible voice to me. Have you read in your Bible where it says you see your calling, brethren? How not many mighty, how not many noble, how not many wise after the flesh are chosen. But God has chosen the foolish things in the world. That God has chosen those things that are not. I remember the first time I read that, I was sitting on the living room couch and Sue was in the kitchen making dinner. And I said, honey, I found out why God saved us. We're a couple of knots. Get into these scriptures. <laughs> anyway, I stomped out of the house, told the Lord, problem with that woman is she's not submitted to me. And God spoke to me, audible voice, and said, Son, she is submitted to me. And if you would line up with my word, you would find out that she'd be submitted to you. Then he said to me, He says, You do not have to fight anymore. I went back in the house. I said, Sue, God just told me something. She said, what did he say? He said, we don't have to fight anymore. She says, that sounds good to me. And in 37 years since then, we have never had an argument. How good is God? How good is he? All right. Romans chapter 8. Let's look here. I was going to read the whole chapter show off how I could read now. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, skip, we'll skip down here. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at verse 37. We're going to read a few of these scriptures, but let's just look at verse 37. It says, nay, I'm reading the King James Bible. It says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Hallelujah. Can you say Hallelujah. You know, I'm excited because God is imparting right now some things to you. Some of you people are going to come, leave here today changed because you're going to receive a blessing from God that He has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And He's ministering. He's here. When I came here this morning, I had been so nervous. I came here this morning. I walked in the sanctuary. I started praying. And I just could feel the presence of God. I'm saying, thank you, Lord. How wonderful is that? How, how precious is that? How incredible is that? You know, I like to get close to the edge. I'm going to confess to you, when I was a young believer, I read about Peter getting out of the boat. Oh, man, I lived on Long Island. We're surrounded by water. I got water everywhere. I tried all the ways you can walk on water. I tried the slow walk. I tried the fast walk. I tried to get up on the beach and do the running walk. I tried off the dock walk. 
I tried to get out. You get up to your waist and you say, you say, in the name of Jesus, rise. I tried all the ways. But, I, but one of these days, it's one, you know, I don't like to fly. I used to fly a lot. I don't like to fly. But, um, but I'm going to have to get used to that because one of these days, a trumpet's going to sound, brethren, and God is going to lift us up. So, anyway, the subject today is more than conquerors. And when we read this subject, and this is in relationship to Noah, and so here comes the story, and through this story, then I'll, I'll conclude. And I thank you all for your patience. So, a couple of months ago, maybe two and a half months ago, I'm driving down the road. Remember, the subject here is more than conquerors. So we know what a conqueror is, right? Everybody here, I'm sure, has heard of, of uh, who, who's the great conquerors? Who? William, William the Conqueror. Yes. Uh, who's who? My, Jesus. Is that what you're saying? My ears are really bad. Fifty years of construction, I can't hear a thing anymore. Got it. I tell my boys, use your outside voice. <laughs> so, and then. Uh, who was the Greek one, the, the young guy? Alexander, yes. And then you have other guys. But, um, and, uh, and Joan of Arc. But, um, so anyway, conquerors, those are people that went into the battle and they defeated an enemy. But here, Paul is talking about more than a conqueror. So what is more than a conqueror? So when we were in the trauma ward, or Noah was in the trauma ward, and I'd be in there in the room with Sue, and Sue would tell me, honey, go do what you do. And so I'd go out, and I'd start to wander the halls, and I'd find people that life was just crushing down on them. Everybody there has some real trauma they're going through. And I would share with them. I would share with them about the love of God. I'd share with them about hope. I would share with them about how God performs miracles today. And eventually the chaplains found me. And I always had a nice smile on my face. And they say, you're, you're Noah's dad, right? And I said, yes. They said, uh, you seem a little happy. For somebody who has a son in that condition. And, and so I told him, I says, it's because I have an eternal hope. Oh, yes, we know, eternal hope. I said, no, no, a different kind of eternal hope. This is a hope that simply does not have an end. It doesn't have an end. And it doesn't have an end by many of the things that we experience. And, and some other time I, I hope to, to share with you. Can I, can I just share one quick one with you? I know that we're past time. This, what happened? All right. So, so the church that we attended when we were, we were young, Love Church. Um, and Love Church was very big on picnics. And most of the people there played soccer. And I never played soccer. But they we're at a church picnic. They're going to play soccer. And so they, I played football. And so what they do with a football player when you're having a soccer game is they put you in defense. 
And so it gets out of the way. So there I was in defense, and this young fellow ran up. And this was long enough ago when people wore hard leather shoes all the time, even when they played. And this young fellow comes up, and because of his hard leather shoes, he slips on the grass and misses the ball and kicks me right in the shin. And my leg instantly swelled up, and it turned purple and blue and yellow and orange and mustard-colored, and it was nasty-looking. Had shorts on. Everybody could see my leg. Everybody's telling me, Bob, that leg is broke. You need to go to a doctor. And I says, I'll be fine. They said, Bob, your leg is broke. But I'm still walking around. It hurt. But uh, I'm walking around. And so finally they convinced me. So I went to the doctor. And the doctor took an x-ray. He says, yep, it's broke. And they put a cast on. In those days it was regular, regular plastic cast. And that, we went on home, Sue and myself. And I'm sitting there. And this thing is cooking. You know, it's warm and stuff. And I, and I sat there and I said, this is not what I believe. got to remember who I was. I was a hardcore atheist. I hated God. Now I read my Bible. God gave me the gift to read. I'm reading it. I'm believing it. One night I read in there about how in Proverbs, how that without understanding, you will not make it. Because of a lack of understanding, many valiant men have perished. And I read that and I pushed away from the table and I dropped on my knees and I cried out, Lord, please! Give me understanding. I do not want to lose the salvation that you've given me. And he said to me, he said, if you will believe what you read, my Bible's open before me. He says, if you will believe what you read, you will have understanding. That is astounding. Just believe it. He told me, don't interpret it. Don't translate it. Believe it. So anyway, I called to Sue. I told her, honey, get me a pair of pliers. She brought me a pair of pliers, and I broke down the side of that cast that was still wet and warm. And I put my leg up on an ottoman, and it was throbbing. And for two weeks, I sat there with that throbbing, hurting leg. And then somebody brought me over a book, Smith Wigglesworth book, Ever Increasing Faith. And I opened that up, and I don't really read other books. I can read a little bit of testimonies and stuff because I, I couldn't read, and so I only read my Bible, really maybe just a little excerpt here and there. And I opened up that book and I read a little excerpt about a man who had ulcerated intestines that had burst. And they were wealthy people and they had rushed in some surgeons from London. They were going to operate on the man of Wigglesworth. The wife was a believer. He wasn't a believer. And the wife had called Wigglesworth and he was there. And Wigglesworth seen them run up the stairs. What's going on? They're going to perform emergency surgery. Wigglesworth says if they operate, he will die. But if he will repent, God will heal him. So she runs up the stairs to stop the surgeon. Wigglesworth runs up the stairs behind him. The wife tells the husband what Wigglesworth said. He repents. God heals him. He sits up in bed completely healed that very hour. And I closed that book and I looked out at this leg and it's going whoom, whoom, whoom. And I said, Lord, I believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you did for that man, you can do for me. And I leaped up off of that couch with all my might and drove both feet into the floor as I came down there. Jesus! And drove my feet into that floor. And that leg was 100% healed. In that moment. So I'm riding down the road two and a half months ago. Did we read a verse? I am going to get in such trouble. It says here, it says here, look at verse 34. We're still in Romans 8. Everybody there, don't, don't close that. We have to get in a few verses. 
It says, uh, let's go verse 33. It says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors. So, Lord, what is more than a conqueror? And I said, Sue, what is more than a conqueror? She says, that is when you don't have to battle, but you're able to rest in God when the battle comes. Battle's already won. Jesus already defeated the enemy. That doesn't mean we don't pray. That doesn't mean we don't sing out to God. People, people know. I, I, my hardest time with Noah was whenever, whenever I would just recite the injuries that he had. A dozen hemorrhages in his brain. Blunt trauma to his heart so bad they said the heart couldn't recover. Both lungs collapsed. One would hold through it so badly damaged they said the lungs could never recover. The liver cracked and bleeding. Spleen cracked and bleeding. Pancreas hurt. Kidneys hurt. Bleeding throughout his intestines. Clavicle broke. Elbow broke. All these ribbons broke. Some of these are floating. Some are still floating. Some of these broken. Left hip crushed. First x-ray showed the left hip crushed. Second x-ray, they said, well, it doesn't appear to be crushed. It's just split in half badly. The third set of x-rays say, well, I guess it doesn't appear to be split in half, ba half badly. Just the top of the pelvis is broke off where, where the tendons and muscle attach to it. The fourth set of x-rays they took, three doctors examined those x-rays and said, we cannot find a thing wrong with that hip. How good is God? So I'm riding down the road two and a half months ago because here is the reality, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But when I look at Noah, when I looked at Noah, he was still only a shadow of who he used to be. And I have never challenged God, and I wish we had some other time I could share more. But, but like Sue said, through all our family. All kinds of things are going on. And they've happened over the years, continually and continually and continually. But God has always delivered. And so he's given us that experience. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience. Experience works hope. For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The tribulation that comes works patience in us. We have no choice. Like Wigglesworth comment, God will put you in a position where there's nothing you can do about it. Because as long as we can do stuff about it, we do stuff about it. But sometimes we need to know the power of God. And the only way that you can really learn the power of God is to be in a spot that there's nothing you can do about it. So I'm driving down the road. I've never complained to God all those years other than my wife in the beginning. But I'm driving down the road and I said, I'm thinking about Noah. And I'm thinking that he's hardly a shadow of who he used to be. And I said, Lord, do you remember how you told me that you'd take care of them? How you'd provide for them? 
And all of a sudden, it come to my memory, Sue had showed me a video about a year before that about a young girl, very pretty girl. And we'll be, we'll be closing with this. A very pretty girl. She was the homecoming queen. She was the captain of the cheerleading squad. She was the girl that everybody in high school wanted to date. But there was a problem for her because she was a Christian. And she said, Lord, I don't want this life. I don't know what you're going to have to do, Lord, but you have to do something because all I want to be is on fire for you. All I want to do is serve you. So whatever you have to do, please do it. A couple of days later, she's in a horrific car accident. Left her disfigured, in pain all the time. It takes her parents, they're on the video, it takes her parents, they said, about 45 minutes just to get her into a car seat because she's in so much pain. You've got to move so slow, you've got to move so easy. She can't talk very well. But what she does now is she goes places and she'll come up on a platform like this and when she does, her speech is fine and she says about the love of God, how wonderful God is. And that's what she does now. Go change your life. And so I thought about that and my prayer to God was just prior to this Lord, I just want him to be whole. That was my cry that day as I'm driving down the road. I just want him to be whole. And God reminded me of that video and seeing that woman and this and that. And so then I said, okay, Lord, maybe I don't know what whole looks like. Whatever whole looks like, that's what I want for Noah. Since that day, Noah has progressed as much as he did the eight months prior to that. Right now, Noah is at 85%, maybe 90%, but you see Noah again. It's Noah again. He isn't quite perfect yet. But when we turn it over to God, really just turn it over to him. All right, Lord, whatever, whatever Whatever hole looks like to you, then that's what I want for him. And God, and God did that. Were we able to get that picture? No? Okay. Anyway, anyone who wants to see a picture? Yesterday we were with Noah. Noah's got his arm around his mom, smiling and loving her. And um, so this, this is what... This is what goes on in our lives. Trouble comes, but we need to stand. Like Abraham, stagger not at the promise of God. Like it said in James, count it all joy when these things come upon you. As Peter said, think it not strange when these things happen to you, but that the trying of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. How wonderful, because the call of God is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's a process that wants to be going on today, working in our lives today so that we can stand and that the world would look at us and know that God is real, that he see that example in us. And I thank you all so much. Love you. Thank you for having me, Pastor. Thank you.
you can actually all just remain standing. We're gonna, uh, not going to close with a song. Uh, I actually felt a miracle while you were talking today, Bob. I think my bald spot grew. <laughs> how, do you, how do you end something like that? Um, Bob and Sue and, and the two boys that are here, Gideon and Levi, uh, they'll be around this afternoon. They'll be here uh, with the youth tonight. Uh, as I mentioned earlier that the prayer room is open, um, please, 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 God is not the last place we go. It's the, he's the first place we go. Um, so let's pray, and, and the prayer room will be open, and we'll close out the service. Father, thank you uh, so much for bringing Bob here, Lord, to share. I don't know how his message has impacted uh, those of us that are sitting here. Lord, I pray that he stirred something in us, Lord. I know he has in me. I pray that uh, those that are seeking you would um, seek you diligently, knowing that you are a rewarder of people that do such. Lord, take down barriers, remove walls, build faith, pour out your grace, and pour out your spirit on us. Use us, Lord, to show yourself uh, to this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And give thanks for all that you've done, that you give and you take away. You are alone, wise, and sovereign, and love. It's in your name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 Go in peace.